0: Welcome to the City on a Hill Church, Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. One thing at City on a Hill is we believe um, that uh, God has called us to be a diverse church, a multicultural church. And one of the ways that we do that is by celebrating the diversity of cultures that are represented in our congregation, we see it in our city, but also um, across, uh, across what the kingdom is going to look like. We believe that God is going to, we're going to have every tribe, every tongue, every nation celebrating Christ, uh, and it's going to be in a multitude of languages. And so we go ahead and prep for that out of the, uh, the, uh, by you know, uh, reading scripture in different languages. So thank you for, for doing that this morning. Uh, again, my name is Stephen. I'm the lead pastor here, uh, would love to meet you, get to know you a little bit better, when way that you can do that is by filling out a connection card. You should, you should see a connect a, a QR code on the screen that you can scan with your phone. Uh, for doing so, we will give you a couple of free gifts. We have a, a gift card to a coffee shop right around the corner called Brassica. In my opinion, the best coffee in the city. Don't let anyone tell you any different. Um, and it's right around the corner. Uh, and secondly, we'll, we would love to give you a free book as well, just as a thank you for coming. And we'd love to just get to know you, connect you to what's going on here at City on a Hill. Uh, our values as a church are the gospel community and mission. The gospel is the good news that all of us are messed up. All of us need a savior. And so all of us are looking to Jesus together. Uh, And so Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, not so that we could live up to some sort of standard, but because none of us could. And he gives us life in him by simply trusting what Christ has done for us. And if you've not done that this morning, we would love to invite you to do so. Uh, Secondly, community. Community uh, is the idea that, again, we're called together from a multitude of cultures and experiences and backgrounds and struggles with a common hope that Jesus is Lord. And we believe that God changes us through relationships. And then mission. We believe that the good news of what Jesus has done is just too good to keep to ourselves. So we tell other people about what Christ has done. And then also we live life shaped by what Christ has done to serve and bless our neighbors in our city. A few announcements before we jump into the text this morning. Um, if you're visiting today, this is a good day to visit um, uh, because I want to tell you about on Wednesday night, all of our church, everybody is getting together. We're going to hang out at the park, uh, Johnston Park, right by the Green Street stop. So um, we, ha- we have some summer groups that are going, but at the end of each month, we've just been getting together, sharing a meal, playing games, and just having a good time. So we would love to get to know you. That's a good way to connect with some others and, uh, and build some relationships. So that's going to be 630, Wednesday night at Johnston, or Johnston Park, right by the Green Street Stop. Um, this week, our Kids Summer Adventure is, uh, is kicking off. So kids are excited about that. I see my, my daughter fist pumping, um, Jersey Shore over there doing it. And so uh, she's excited. I hope you're excited. This is going to be virtual. So it's not going to be in person, but it's going to be um, online. And so we have some bags for our kids who have signed up. If you haven't already signed up, We'd love to get you signed up and we can give you a take-home bag that you can use. And then at the end of the week, we're going to be having a family fun night for anybody to come and enjoy. Even if you didn't participate in KSA, we'd love for you to do that. We need volunteers for that. So if you would like to volunteer, come find someone, find myself, find Matt, find Amy right here in the front row. We'd love to help get you connected to that little hesitated hand raised there. Um, We'd love to get you to do that. And then lastly, um, we are going to Canobie Lake on Saturday, August 14th. Uh, Canobie Lake is is an amusement park in New Hampshire. Um, It will be discounted tickets, $5 off per ticket. My family's so big, that's like a car payment. I'm sure the math works out um, on that. Uh, But if you'll buy it through us, we'll discount the ticket for you uh, to do that. It'd be a good time just to go uh, have some fun as we kind of wrap the summer up. Uh, Now, as we, I think all of us have probably taken some sort of personality test in the past. Uh, Personality inventories, they're kind of a big one for each generation. And the one that's kind of big right now is the Enneagram. Anybody taken the Enneagram? A few people. Um, It's a tool, it's not a worldview. We don't get weird about it, but sometimes people take it. We can learn some things about ourselves. Um, But the Enneagram's big, and you might hear people walking around going, oh, I'm a three, or I'm a one, or I'm a six, or I'm like a unicorn. I don't know what I am. People, we talk about that, but the one that was big, like when I was in college, uh, was the myers Brig. And the myers Brig was like, oh, you're an ENFJ. Oh, no, you're an ISTP. And the one that people focused on a lot was that E and the I. You were either an extrovert or an introvert. An extrovert was that person who was wild and outgoing in the life of the party, and the introvert was more shy and, and, and uh, didn't want to be around people. And typically in social settings, the Extrovert gets attention because they're loud. They, they're in the middle of uh, they're the life of the party, and introverts don't always get that same attention. Their voice isn't always heard. And so, in the church, we do try to create space for introverts. We try to create space for people who want to reflect and be contemplative and think. Um, and, and so, but that's hard for me because I straddle that extrovert introvert line pretty hard. When I was younger, I was much more extroverted. As I've gotten older, probably more mature, I've become more introverted. Uh, but I was a, a, a summer missionary in, in college was working at this camp and we were doing counselor training. And, uh, and I tend to whatever, I just tend to lead. I tend to say stuff and tell you my opinion and we're going to do things. That's kind of probably why I started a church. And so um, I want to do stuff. And so our, the guy who's leading our counselor training looked at me and said, you cannot speak for this, for this next thing we're going to do. And it was a team building event and he made all the people who were outgoing be quiet. And we had to listen to the introverts come up with ideas. And here was the cool part. They had some pretty good ideas. Uh, It it was really cool to listen to them when we we stopped and slowed down enough to listen. And if there was an introvert in the Trinity, it would be the Holy Spirit. Seems kind of strange to think about that, but if there was an introvert in the Trinity, it would be the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has been called the shy member of the Trinity. I think this is for two reasons. One is that we tend to not give a lot of attention to the Holy Spirit. We talk a lot about the Father. We talk a lot about the Son. uh, And we've talked about that in this Apostles Creed series. We've focused a lot of time on what the Father has done and what the Son has done, uh, but less on the Spirit. And if you grew up in church, you may have grew up in a church tradition that rarely talked about the Spirit. We kind of avoid the Spirit. Or you grew up in a, in, a, uh, in a tradition where maybe they talked about the Spirit a lot, and it was all about the Spirit, but it wasn't really that the Spirit was God. It was more of this less personal force that helped you do supernatural things. But the second reason that I would say that the, the Spirit is shy is because He's always deflecting attention away from Himself. You never in the Scripture see the Holy Spirit drawing attention to Himself. He is always working in the background, always um, working and never out front, never looking out for his own glory. J.I. Packer, in his book, Keep in Step with the Spirit, said that the Spirit has a spotlight ministry. In other words, he gives this, vi- this visual picture. He says, imagine you're walking at night, you're in a, in a city, you're walking down a dark alley and you turn the corner and all of a sudden you see a floodlit building, beautiful Gothic architecture and the light has, has lit up the building and you see all the details and all the beauty of the building. What do you say when you see that scene? You say, wow, what a beautiful building. Nobody says, I wonder what model floodlight that is. No one says, man, I wonder if I could get some of those for my house. I wonder if Home Depot sells that floodlight. No, we say, what a beautiful building. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit points away from himself to Jesus in order to give him maximum glory. And so in the Apostles' Creed, as we unpack today the idea, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit because we want Jesus to get maximum glory. We want Jesus to get maximum glory in our lives. We want Jesus to get maximum glory in our church. We want Jesus to get maximum glory in our neighborhoods, in our city, and to the ends of the earth. So let's unpack three questions today related to the Holy Spirit. First of all, who is the Holy Spirit? Second of all, what does the Holy Spirit do? And then thirdly, why does the Holy Spirit matter for us? So firstly, who is the Holy Spirit? Now, notice when I said that question, the the question was, who is the Holy Spirit, not what is the Holy Spirit? If you know anything about the Bible, oftentimes we treat the Holy Spirit kind of like the Force in Star Wars, It's kind of this nebulous force that holds all things together. It's mysterious, and it's kind of just good vibes. That's kind of what we imagine is the Holy Spirit. But we see some clues from the text that we're going to be looking at today in John 15 and John 16 that tell us that this is a who that we're talking about, not a what. Verse 26 in chapter 15 says, but when the helper comes. So the helper who comes is capitalized in the English because this is a title. Be like, kind of like when a king would go into a town and the herald would say, the king is coming. That title, the king, was representative of a person. The helper is representative of the Holy Spirit, a person, a personal who. We see whom I will send to, to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. All this language points to a personal God. The spirit, the term the Spirit throws us off a little bit, but what's being described in the Bible by the Holy Spirit is God himself, the third member of the Trinity. What makes Christianity unique is that we believe in one God in three persons. We're not polytheistic, meaning we don't believe in multiple gods, but we have one God who exists in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each co-equally God, not parts of God, not like one-third, one-third, one-third. Each one is fully God, and they are co-equal in majesty, glory, and power. They are like a community. They are like a family as God. Now, the Bible doesn't use the word Trinity outright, but you see it all over the Scriptures Probably the clearest place is Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. Um, it says the Lord God is one. Now the word God there is the Greek or the Hebrew word Elohim. The word El in Hebrew means God. If you add him to that, it's plural. So it's one God. Elohim is the, this plural God is one. He's a trinity. He's a community. And we see God acting as this community in multiple places. Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen. We see all three acting in as Paul promises the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. Who when we usually say God we mean Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. At several points, you see the Holy Spirit acting as God. In Genesis 1, we see the Spirit creates. Um, In Romans 8, he has a mind. Uh, Ephesians 4, he grieves over us. Romans 8, again, he intercedes on our behalf, testifies to us, speaks to us. Now, why is it important that we understand the Spirit as a who, as God himself? Because Jesus, in a way, is sending a replacement for his presence on earth. Now that doesn't mean that we don't need Jesus because we've talked about this. The Spirit is pointing us towards Christ and what he's done for us, but he's saying, I'm leaving and there's gonna be another one like me. If you look back at John chapter 14, Jesus in promising the Spirit says, another helper will come. I've been a help to you while I'm here, but here comes another like me who's gonna help you in the same way. Last week, we talked about how uh, the way that people experience God throughout history has been a little different in the Old Testament. You had to come to the temple and you experience God through a priest um, in, in the, the Gospels. People experience Jesus, uh, God as Jesus in the flesh, and we experience God as the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so it says here that he he proceeds from the father, that the father is sending him like, like God sent the son. the son, the father and the son send the spirit, eternally doing his will and spreading his glory. Now, if you flip down to chapter 16, verse seven, it says, nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We see here that he's saying that you're going to experience God in a way that you never had before and you never could have expected. It's to your advantage. It's going to be better when the Spirit, as Acts 2 says, is poured out on all flesh, and you're going to experience the love of God in your hearts. Romans 5.5 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. But this is what life will look like in the Spirit. So let's look at that, let's look at what the Spirit does. What does the Holy Spirit do? And the answer is a lot. And we do not have space this morning to cover every single thing that the Holy Spirit has done. In fact, when I was studying for this sermon, I wrote down two pages worth of verses line by line of things that the Holy Spirit has done and not even including the things that the Spirit does in us. And so this isn't going to be exhaustive. We're not going to be able to talk about the gifts of the spirit this morning. That we hope to we'll be able to talk about that in a different sermon at some point. But we're going to kind of focus on the text, hit some big headings and hopefully be able to cover a lot of ground. But we see here from the text that the Holy Spirit helps us. It's right there in the name. He's the helper. You've ever been in a, had to go to a work party and you're meeting people from other districts or offices and you're asking people like, oh, hey, what's your name? What do you do? The standard questions you ask, usually it's right there on their name tag. You know, it's Bob and he's in accounting. Um, Here it's right on the spirit's name tag. He's the helper. He helps us. Looking back at chapter 15, verse 25, we see why the spirit came to help the disciples. And Jesus says, the world has hated me. They've hated me. My opponents have have hated me. They hate the fact that I'm I'm disrupting the religious order. They hate the fact that I'm saying that God calls us to obedience and follow him under his kingdom. And he says, I'm leaving, and now they're going to hate you. Things are going to get really, really hard. So I'm going to help you guys out a little bit, and I'm going to help you by giving you the Spirit, who in verse 26, it says, bears witness. So that in verse 27, you can bear witness. Bearing witness is kind of like filling out a recommendation letter. I get requests for recommendation letters all the time from former students, from former church members, for scholarships and adoptions and all sorts of things. And when someone asks for a recommendation letter, what are they asking for? They want to know, what kind of person is this? Are they trustworthy? Are they dependable? Are they hardworking? The Spirit is bearing witness about what Jesus has done and who he is telling us what he's like, that this is a God who suffered too, who is hated as well, who suffered with you. The Spirit reminds us of what Jesus has done for us and all the promises that come to us through what he did for us on the cross. That this is a Lord who always runs to the lowly and had compassion on the crowd who he saw as the, as the lost sheep of Israel and his heart was broken from them. This is the God who came and said that good, he had good news for the poor. He's near to the brokenhearted. How can the Spirit help you? What's the last year been like for you? For many of us, we've been gutting it out and struggling in our own strength. The Spirit is there and available to help us and guide us and comfort us and fix our eyes on Christ. How can the Spirit meet you in the midst of of loneliness or or struggle or in the midst of a loss? How can he comfort you? Maybe you're frustrated and there's just things in your life that just aren't adding up or working out the way that you hope to. How can the Spirit meet you in that place? The Spirit helps, but the Spirit also convicts. Verse 8. Sounds ominous, right? We don't like the word conviction. It's It's not a very fun word. Um, I don't like feeling guilty. I don't know about you, but we, we tend to want to hide our guilt. We want to hide it away and tuck it away. And if nobody ever knows what, what, what's going on, it's like it didn't really happen. So what's really the harm? Have you ever read The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe? He—he, he, This man murders his his neighbor and buries him under the floorboards. And as, as the police come over and they're laughing and talking, he says it's as if he can hear the heart beating under the floorboards. It's not actually beating, but his guilt is, is riddling him so much that it's something that he realizes he's just completely afraid of it being exposed. The word convict here is the idea of shining light on something. To make aware, it's as if somebody were to take all of your deeds, all of your thoughts, the deepest recesses of your soul, and were to start a Twitter thread and start listing them out for the whole world to see. This sounds terrible, right? He says he came to convict or expose our sin, all the areas of our life uh, and our hearts that where we disobey God or try to live by our own rules, he convicts us of our righteousness, not just the bad things we do, but the good things that we fail to do or the things that we do that are good, but we do them for the wrong reasons. And also he convicts us over judgment, how we see ourselves before God, before others, and how we rightly see ourselves. And it's as if in this, as in convicting and shining light into our hearts, the Spirit invades and shines light on everything in our lives. I love that show on the Discovery Channel where they take the, the high definition camera and the light to the bottom of the ocean, and you see some weird stuff. There's fish with jaws and like an eyeball behind their elbow, and I didn't know a fish could have an elbow. It's weird. That's what happens when the Spirit starts shining the light in our hearts. He starts seeing stuff, and he sees the way that we treat other people. He sees where we run when we're alone. He sees how our emotions boil over when we don't get our way or how we devalue other people. He sees all the stuff that we want to hide. And the question is, is, who does that? A friend. A friend can look at the deepest recesses of your heart. A friend can look at the largest failures in your life and tell you, you know, it's going to be okay. There is a possibility for you to change. Years ago, we were living in Colorado. We were we had just gotten married. Amy's pregnant. We're in our early twenties, and uh, we had no friends. We lived in this little mountain town, and the church we went to like we were the youngest people by like a hundred years. And we had some friends who were in their sixties. Uh, I told you I don't math well. Um, we had some friends who were in their sixties, and. Um, named Doris and Dick and Terry and Sherry. And they would take us out and we go out to eat together and do different things and spend time together. And they were good friends to us. Well, we got into this bad habit where we realized they had money and we didn't. And uh, we we're like, we're just gonna let them pay because they pay every time. You can't do like the fake reach for the wallet thing. Well, they picked up on that because they were smarter than us. And one day they said, hey, we, no- we noticed this about you. We noticed that you do this and you're like, we want you here, but that's not okay. Man, we needed to hear that. A friend will tell you that because we need to see how our sin affects us. We need to see how our attempts to be good enough are just not good enough. We need to see how we stack up before a holy God. D.A. Carson says, this convicting work of the spirit is therefore gracious. It's designed to bring men and women of the world to recognize their need and so turn to Jesus and thus stop being the world. It helps us judge ourselves rightly. The only way we tend to judge is by comparison. We tend to compare ourselves to other people. And so we have the person on our left who we look at and say, you know what? I'm better than this person. But we also have that person on our right who says, man, I'm just not that good. The spirit frees us from both of those because we're no longer comparing ourselves to other people, but it helps us judge rightly by looking to Christ and what Christ has done. How we, we see Jesus and what he has done for us. We see the standard is Jesus and what Jesus has done. And all of us look at Jesus and go, man, I can't be that. I, I can't do that. And if so, if that's, if that's you, you're starting to get it. See, the Spirit comes into our lives and says, hey, you know what? Your life is an utter mess, but it's okay. You can change. Our hearts are a little bit like the show Hoarders. Anybody watch Hoarders? You want to admit that in front of other people? Okay, we've all watched it, don't lie. Um, hoarders, it's embarrassing, right? When you, if, you, if you're the person, if someone came to your house and you're a hoarder, there's parts you don't want to deal with. There's stuff that's been tucked away in corners forever. You don't, want to, you, don't want to, you don't want to mess with, but that person comes into your house and here's what they promise, you can change. It can get better. The Spirit comes into your life and says, your heart is an absolute mess, but we can make this new. You can change. You can deal with that stuff that's been broken and messed up from, from your childhood. That seems like it's intertwined into your very soul. The Spirit can help move those things around and fix our hearts on Christ. And the Spirit does this by t- guiding us into all truth. Verse 13, such, there's such beauty in the wording here in this section. It says that he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority. Jesus said something very similar to this so says something very, very similar. He said that he came not to do his own will, but to do the Father's will. The Spirit here, in the same way, it says that whatever he hears, he will speak. In other words, the Spirit is not going to go rogue. The Spirit is not just going to start telling you things that don't match up with the Scriptures. And so, in fact, if you're listening to the Spirit and you hear something that contradicts God's Word, it's not the Spirit. And what this means is that God is not holding out on you. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are on the exact same page. You are not on a need-to-know basis with God when it comes to His truth. You can trust His Word. We have all that we need. And what the Spirit does is the Spirit guides you into that truth by helping us better understand, by helping us know it and believe it deeply, And in verses 14 and 15, we see that he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And then again in 15, all that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That idea of guiding and declaring is the idea that if this isn't just something that you're gonna get in your head, but it says, Tim Keller says that it's gonna move from your head to your heart. That the truth of God's word is gonna come home. What that means is this is the difference between knowing that Jesus comforts in an abstract way and experiencing his comfort. This is the difference between intellectually knowing that Jesus died on a cross and experiencing and believing Jesus died for my sins so that I could be forgiven and be with him forever. This is the difference in knowing you're forgiving and living, living, living in the freedom of that forgiveness so that we could all enjoy Jesus. Tim Keller says that the work of the Holy Spirit is not to make you say, I have the Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus Christ beautiful to you, more beautiful than he was a minute before. The Spirit guides us to see the beauty of Jesus. Not that we just know about him, that we know him personally. Lastly, as we close, why does the Holy Holy Spirit matter for us? The coming of the Spirit is both a promise and an invitation. It was a promise to the disciples who were hearing this, and he's saying, he is going to come. If you look at Acts chapter 1, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes, and as I mentioned earlier, poured out on all flesh, all sorts of people. And right after that, Peter begins to preach, and he he gives this promise of what life can look like for those who've trusted Christ to be filled with the Spirit. Acts 2, verse 21, and then 25 and 20, through 28, it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that, I'm, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, You will make me full of gladness with your presence. He's saying that when you come to faith in Christ, there's this promise that you can experience the hope of the gospel, that the Lord is before you and with you, that he will not let you be shaken, that you can be glad in him and that you can rejoice, that you you can dwell in hope, believing he will not abandon you and you will fill the fullness of his gladness with his presence. Lord sent the Spirit to do incredible things in the church, in us corporately and in us personally. What is God trying to do in City on a Hill? What is God trying to do in you, in your life? If you, I watched the movie Ford versus Ferrari this past week, and I was reminded that you have to use things in the way that they're intended to be used. And so the, the, the story of Ford versus Ferrari is uh, about Ken Miles who drove uh, the Shelby race car, uh, you know, Shelby, uh, the Shelby GT that Ford created that changed racing forever. And there's this scene where Ken Miles, who's the racer, is actually working in a, in a, a mechanic shop to try to make some ends meet. Uh, and this man comes to him and he's frustrated This his car's not running correctly. And Ken Miles says to him, he says, nothing's wrong with the car, just the way it's being driven. And the man is, the customer's kind of flabbergasted, and he says, the, the way it's being driven. And Ken Miles says, so that there is a sport car. You have to drive her like a sport car. If you drive her like a school teacher, she'll clog up. Sorry to any school teachers. He says, all right, so, so try changing up to 5,000 RPMs instead of two. Drive it like you mean it, hard and tight, she'll run clean. And the customer says, are you telling me I don't know how to drive my own car? And Ken Miles says, no, but if you ask me, that isn't your car. Uh, Your car is more of a Plymouth or a Studebaker. He said, you and me have a problem, buddy? He says, I don't have a problem. I had an MG and mine ran just fine. We have to use the Holy Spirit in the way that he intends for us to use him not as a a second blessing that we receive as something outside of receiving him in salvation, but as a promise that we can be given life by the filling of the Spirit in us. We have to use him as he promised. This is the Spirit that said that we could take the gospel to the nations, that through the Spirit we could fight sin and walk in holiness, remembering what Christ has done, remembering who we are in him and who will help us when we are weak, all by the filling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And here's two questions as we close. Are we as a church living by the power of the Holy Spirit like we need him? We have a group of really efficient people in this church. We have a group of people who, man, we can spreadsheet and logistics and all those things, and we could really easily miss the fact that we need the Spirit to do something that none of us could possibly imagine doing. None of us can make a heart new. None of us can open doors and push back dar- darkness. None of us can make this church grow. We need the Spirit to give us a deep heart to serve and love our neighbors and move us towards them. And secondly, does my life personally demonstrate a dependence upon the Holy Spirit? Do I fight sin in my own strength or have I just given up? And I'm just, it's, it's just too much. Am I being filled with the hope that the Bible promises? Am I constantly seeing Jesus as more beautiful? And does my life look different because of the Spirit's work in me? How do you need to take up the Spirit on his invitation this morning? How does he need to help you? How does he need to guide you? What needs to be convicted? And how do you need to see the Spirit fill your life? Maybe for you this morning, you're struggling to believe and, and you're just like, Lord, I just need help to believe. There's actually a prayer in the New Testament that says, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe that's you this morning. Call out to God and ask him to speak to you, to help you, to meet you. You know, the Bible says that one of the first signs of being filled with the Spirit is that we sing. When you're in love with somebody, you sing. If we're in love with Jesus, we're gonna sing. So let's ask the Spirit to fill us. As we take communion here in a moment, let's sing together and pray for the Spirit to fill us as we do so. Let's pray.